Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Spill, a movie night podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea. Film Spill, if you already don't know, is a podcast that comes out every week and we talk about a movie by a female filmmaker every episode. We also discuss women in the entertainment industry in general, play slumber party type games, spill entertainment gossip, and get to know each other and our guests. This week, we have a very special guest, Aspen, who is a producer with Onyx and who has also been on the podcast previously for the episode of Jennifer's Body. Aspen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, I'm so excited to be back and to be here talking with Chelsea about one of my favorite movies. I'm a, a producer at Onyx. Um, what else? And I also really love movies that um, women make that uh, comment on how shitty men can be because we need to talk about that more. <laughs> we do. <laughs> but also what I wanted to ask you about is your new short coming out killer puss that's yeah. in currently in post-production yes oh my gosh thank you for asking um yeah so I have my like first official short it is in post-production I'm very excited for it I'm hoping to have it finished by the end of January 2023 yeah it's been a labor of love and I'm so excited to be able to share it soon I'm so excited to watch it. I read the script and I was totally feeling the vibe. What were some of your inspirations for your new short? Oh my God, thank you. Definitely American Psycho for sure. Um, Just like it's kind of like satirical and over the top like dialogue. Um, I found that very inspirational for writing this um, male um, villain archetype that I have. I think also as well, Jennifer's Body, just like Diablo Cody's writing. um, I find it really fun. In general, um, I would also say a lot of like the kind of like exploitation movies from the 60s and 70s. Um, I really enjoy the aesthetic of it. Um, Deadly Repulsion as well by Roman Polanski. Um, he's an awful person, but that film I found very um, influential and um, kind of psychologizing um, the female experience. Um, and yeah, I think those are my main ones, but um, yeah, it was, I definitely wanted something that was very colorful, but also, um, but also, like, like, even though um, it touches on, like, a very heavy topic of sexual assault, I still wanted to use this, like, colorful and kind of playful palette to dichotomize that and also, like, kind of play with the ideas of gender roles, um, heterosexual norms, and how, like, we have this, like, glossy picture perfect view on the outside but obviously there's something much more sinister deep down um another one of my influences is the love witch just like that very colorful look and it's also an exploration of like femininity um and gender roles and like the unfulfillingness of it a like the film very much looks like like a tarot deck with like this full spectrum of like bright colors um, and I definitely was trying to bring some of that into um, my film because um, it's just not only just such a beautiful film, but just like also totally revolutionary and um, like the way it like bends um, the genre like of 60s and 70s, like exploitation um, campy films. I love the tone of The Love Witch. I watched it for the first time because I actually wanted to do one of my episodes on it. 
So um, I actually recorded it yesterday. <laughs> oh my God. Um, okay, wait. Amazing. I'm excited for you to um, put that one out. <laughs> yay. I ho- hopefully I like, I brought a lot to the conversation because when it's just me, I'm just like, am I, we're just rambling on? Am I making sense here? <laughs> but I really love the tone of the Love Witch and I love that it puts the male, like, just like the the male protagonist or just like a male character in like a space where they're vulnerable and they're not seen oh, as like masculine characters. They're they're seen for their vulnerability and for their flaws. And she yes. exploits them in that. And she's so like the voiceovers are so powerful. The close-up shots. Like I, I just love it. I love the vibe and the blue eyeshadow does it for me. But yeah, the color oh my tone God, is yes. my one of my favorite things. Totally. Yeah, no, I love that idea too of like the vulnerability of the men because like it totally takes this like hyper masculine idea and like breaks it down. It's Anna Biller is so great. I love her. <laughs> yeah, you spoke also about um including just the talk about sexual abuse, right? And just like a sexual mm-hmm. assault. How did you want to carry on this like sort of messaging in your film? And especially that it's such like a, a tough subject to just like, you know, base a film about like what certain maybe inspirations did you take from other filmmakers as well? Totally. I think one thing um, that like was really important to me was to try and make it as like non-exploitative as possible um, because it's like I don't want this to be entertainment. I don't want it to just be there to scare someone. I want it to be there to like to actually supplement the story in the film. And um, I think because this scene kind of reverses the power. So like, spoiler alert, um, the main character, she has teeth on her vagina. And when the sexual assault's about to occur, she um, chops off his dick. Um, and so I think it kind of reversed the power dynamic. And that's for me why I felt comfort- more comfortable putting it in the um putting the scene in the film because it played with these expectations so it didn't focus on her being a victim but more him becoming one and her reclaiming her power through this um I think too another thing that I tried to keep in mind um was uh instead of like having it be a wide shot where it just shows the whole thing I wanted I ended up doing a lot of close-ups and um we're editing that together so that it's um more fragments and more focused on like a psychology aspect versus um just like kind of like showing the full thing happened in this like like in a too realistic type of way because that I think would just be more jarring and upsetting than anything since it's like it parallels real life too much because this is supposed to be supposed to be a revenge fantasy so if this is supposed to be cathartic in some way, then I think um, looking at it in a in a in a closer sense um, makes it more um, it humanizes. That's the word I was looking for. It humanizes um, our character, our protagonist more. Um, so yeah, and I was trying to go against like the rape revenge genre of like the nineteen seventies and horror films, where like again they would have these wide shots and it was just like horrible you're just sitting there and watching this happen so um yeah so I tried to reverse the power dynamic in that way yeah I love that and I think more films need to involve reverse dynamics and I'm seeing a lot of that happening where like 
women aren't being victimized, right? Where yeah. we're, we're reverse powering, we are taking charge and we are the ones, you know, doing the killing. Like we are the ones to taking on the revenge. Like um, we are the ones with power. Yeah, and exactly. It's so sad because like once we do start seeing films, like one, like film analysis, right? It's not something that automatically we started to do at a young age. So these films that were coming out, especially in the early like 2000s, where we're seeing a lot of like female victimizations, like 70s, 80s, with just like the Freddy Krueger franchise and like yeah. uh, Jason as well. We're seeing like the dancehall in distress. And we were so used to that. And like when we think about horror, right, we think about, oh, yeah, there's always that like one victim and it's usually a girl who needs to be saved by this man or whatever the case may be. So it became just like uh, an ever like lasting trend until a female director decided, hey, you know what? Like, why do we need to be victimized? Like, it shouldn't be like this. We should start changing it. And once the dynamic starts changing, um, it opens the eyes of other filmmakers. And then we have this realization, like, yeah, we can tell stories that puts us back in power and that we don't have to be victims anymore. And that we're telling important stories that they don't have to be traumatizing to our viewers. Totally. Yeah, I 100% agree. Because like, they're, I mean, obviously, horror is about scaring people. But there are levels to scaring people. Um, There's like, there are levels to scaring people that don't have to be extremely exploitative of like real issues. There are ways you can film around it, like, like be more creative when exploring these things and like these topics. So yeah, that's why, again, it's so important to have like female filmmakers, like with Jennifer's body, like, you know, when spoiler alert, Jennifer's killed, like that, or like not killed, but um, when Jennifer's uh, like raped slash killed um slash sacrificed um, like that scene very much is um, like supposed to be coded as a rape scene, but again, it's not directly shown as rape, but it has like a lot of subtextual elements that's supposed to make you feel that way without the exploitation that comes from just like showing this like weird rape fantasy but yeah we at the end of the day we just need more like female and um non-binary and just like just more diverse directors we do (laughs) yeah we really do and I'm like like I said I'm being I'm more happy now that I'm seeing a lot more of us women and non-binary folks like directing for film and telling our stories that we want to tell and regardless of the outcome I think that's what is like just like true true filmmaking is just when it comes from the heart it's something that you really want to tell and it's storytelling it's a lot of storytelling stories that need to be told from yeah from all points of view so if you're a filmmaker out there and you want to make a movie make the movie yeah please (laughs) please 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 we don't need like another version of Wolf on Wall Street. Like we need something that's actually new and interesting. <laughs> or would you rather um, spend a night at the Bates Motel or spend a night at the Overlook? That's hard. <laughs> I know. Both I wouldn't want to spend a night in, but which Not one is like less freakier? Honestly. Um, I So while I do feel like the Bates Motel would be like less dangerous because like Norman Bates is just like a skinny little man like I feel like I could take him I am gonna say the overlook because a it's prettier and yeah it's just prettier I mean it's big too so I feel like there are a lot of hiding spots um to me it's, right. just, it's, 
seems more fun. What about you? I picked when I did this quiz, I picked the Bates Motel. Okay. What's your reasoning? I thought like it was less scarier. There's less rooms. So like, I don't know why I thought that would be safer. (laughs) For whatever reason, it looks safer to me. No, you're right. I feel like it low-key is because it's like, it's also kind of in the forest too. So you just run to the forest and be like, you can't find me. Like, And you only have Norman. Like in the Overlook, you have whatever creepy ghost is about to like come at you as well as you have the father who's coming at you with an axe. So it's like, which one? <laughs> exactly. And like, maybe I'm just too much of a Jack Nicholson fan. Um, but yeah, no, You what you said is the correct and logical answer. I don't know why. <laughs> the Overlook looks a little fun. I'm like, maybe I'd ha- like go to their party there. I don't know. It does though. Like I would totally want to go visit, but then you watch the film and you're like, maybe not. <laughs> it's like maybe just like compared with like like a cross, a Ouija board, you know, just like get ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so would you rather go for a swim at Camp Crystal Lake, go for a swim in the Black Lagoon? This is hard. So this I'm is how say- I looked at this. I was like a creature in the water already or someone on the surface where you could swim away that's fair i re- every time i think of like the um the crystal lake do you remember at the end of the film where like jason kind of like comes out like as a kid and that's what makes that's what i think of and like again this is like a tiny kid i probably could take him i'm gonna say go for some of the black lagoon which, like, I don't know why. I don't know why. It just, like, definitely scarier. But it seems a little bit more fun. Like, I feel, I feel like the creature, the creature is really stiff, too. And also, like, I think, not exactly what he does in the movie, but I think he, he, he likes, like, like, femmes. So I'm like, I don't feel like he'd hurt me too much. He'd be like, maybe just want to, like, keep me. But again, I feel like I could take him. You know what he looks like? He looks like that character from that one movie. What is that movie where she falls in love with the creature? What is that name? Oh my god, Shape of Water. Shape of Water, right? Yeah. Doesn't, it, doesn't he look like it? No, literally. So yeah, I just want my Shape of Water moment. You get it. Yeah. If you it, go for a swim in the Black Lagoon. No, exactly. So that's so fun. Um, but no, you're again is the smarter one because you can just swim in the in the in the lake for the most part. And like, will Jason come out and swim to you? I don't know. We don't know. I'm, I don't. I haven't really seen him swim. Oh wait, maybe he can't swim. That he like drowns. That's how he dies. Oh yeah, that's true. So he can't even swim. So you're safe in the water. Damn. Okay, you're you're being smart. Right now. <laughs> um. Okay. Would you rather solve Pinhead's puzzle box, play one of Jigsaw's games? Do you have an answer for this one? Because honestly, I like don't remember either movie super well. I said Pinhead's Puzzle Box because I thought that was less gruesome than the Jigsaw games because I've seen the Saw movies and no matter what game you play, they're pretty gruesome. So I'm like, all right, I can solve this Pinhead's Puzzle Box. I've never seen the movie, but sure. Yeah, like I watched the movie like years ago and like the movie wasn't that scary. So like, I feel like it's okay. But Saw, like you're losing a limb at least. I don't want I don't want to play a game with him. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, okay. Would you rather have Margaret White as your mom, 
have Pamela Voorhees as her mom. That's hard. I'm going to go with Pamela because she avenges his death. And I'm like, that's sweet. While Margaret tries to kill Carrie. And I'm like, that's a lot. <laughs> I know. That's that's a little too much for my Carrie? life. <laughs> um, what did, who did you choose? I chose Pamela. Yeah. Yeah. And it honestly, it says 53% of people would choose Pamela. So I think we chose right. <laughs> yeah, I think we did too. And the fact that there's 47% though that wants Margaret, I'm like, girl, she's like a crazy Christian lady who's trying to kill you. Is that fun? Mm. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Okay. Would you rather have Freddy Krueger after you in your dreams have the girl from the ring after you because you watched the video? I haven't seen the ring. I don't recommend it. It's scary. <laughs> Is she really scary? Yeah, I'm like I, those movies. Like I don't know why I was allowed to watch those movies at such a young age, but I used to watch a lot of scary movies. Now I can't. Like I was trying to watch Smile the other day, and I was so freaked out afterwards. Like I was just like, oh, I can't. I, I don't know why. I think it's because like I don't have the same mentality of like, oh, nothing's gonna happen. To like something's gonna happen. <laughs> No, literally, exactly. Because you're like, yeah, that sounds really scary. I think Fred, while I am scared of Freddy Krueger, he's so campy. He's also making jokes all the time. Like, I feel like it'd be fun. I feel like at the very least it'd be fun. This girl, she seems, she seems like she's not playing. She seems like she's like out for blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't even know what happened to this girl. Um. He's played in all like the ring movies. I don't know. I heard something, but I heard some like, kookiness of this set. Cause I really think that playing with this type of energy, it it's just like um a means for something to happen. You know? Totally. Yeah. No, I think that happened with American Horror Story when they were shooting Coven. Like they were like messing with Voodoo. And then to Gab, I think her name's Gabrielle Sibdi. She like started having like like I think her tongue swelled up or something after she said like the this like voodoo chant. She's like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing with it. It's not. Yeah. Like oh my god. When you invite that energy, I think um I think scary shit starts to happen. Yeah. No, for sure. And that's why I feel like with horror film, people don't pay attention to that and um are very like controversial to like, oh, this is this isn't real like you know this could never happen to you or like um don't believe in ghosts or like spiritual things so they start messing with things and then they start having like side effects to it and that could remain with you for your whole life and could honestly progress yeah no literally and I feel like a lot of horror movies I mean I guess they're horror movies so they're like they're it's it's good marketing for them to have scary stories but a lot of them have like really morbid um on set experiences where like people will die in really weird ways or um they'll just have like really creepy things happen so like yeah it's it kind of it's it's like they think it's acting but it's like you're you're kind of messing with something like what's happening here so would you rather have dinner alone with patrick bateman or have dinner alone with hannibal lecter I'm gonna say Patrick. This animal really scares me. Like he will eat me. Well, it's like I know Patrick probably would too, but I don't know. Hannibal's like he's so unhinged to the point where he shows no emotions, and I think that's what's scary. Yeah, I went with Patrick too because 
Hannibal Lecter, I can't just get over the fact of like, yeah, he has no emotions. Like he could kill you in an instant because he just has a killer instinct for flesh. And yeah. <laughs> no, totally. I 100% agree. Yeah. Like, man, he, he's serious about what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, would you rather have Chucky as a toy or have Reagan as a sister? I'm gonna have Chucky as a toy. I feel like that's fun. Also, he's he's always dying. I mean, he'll come back to life, but like he's easy to like kill. I don't fuck with exorcisms and possession and stuff like that. Like that is really scary to me. I don't want to talk to the devil. No, thank you. No, thank you. Oh, yeah, that new movie that came out. I'm like, I don't even want to watch this movie. I'm, like, so terrified. No, literally. It's like, no, no, don't want to know. Don't want to know. Which one did you choose? I chose Chucky, too. But I feel like with Chucky, I grew up watching those films. And, like, I mean, dolls do scare me. But um, I remember, like, going into, like, Zoomy. No, like, Zoomy, like, Spencer's. And, like, there was always, like, that Chucky doll around um so I felt like it wasn't as scary because I'm like oh well they just have him like on the show like you know can't be that scary but um yeah I feel like he's less scarier than someone being possessed even though he kind of is if you think about it Chucky is kind of like possessed oh totally yeah but yeah no I know yeah there's just something like that's kind of like fun and like chill about Chucky yeah um okay would you rather have some of the ice cream man's ice cream or have a balloon from Pennywise I don't know who the ice cream man is oh me neither I said balloon yeah Penny. okay again not not to just choose the fun answers but Pennywise is more fun and again like I don't think I can take Pennywise but I can at least fuck with Pennywise you know (laughs) because he's kind of like Tinkerbell you just have to stop believing in him and then like he can't really do his job. It's like, oh, there you go. <laughs> There's it. That's the answer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like he's he's semi-easy to, like, figure out. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather get chainsawed by Leatherface or get turned into a wax figure while still alive? Oh, this movie creeped me out. I was, like, in fourth grade when I watched House of Wax. Oh, my God. I've never seen You've never seen it? Oh my gosh, you have to watch this movie. This version or something, but that wasn't that scary. This looks terrible. Just the picture they have here is terrifying. Oh my god. I'm going to say Chainsawed. (laughs) I do not want to become a wax figure. Oh my god, that sounds terrifying. Yeah, that that movie gave me nightmares. I'm like, see, Certain things I should have not been watching, but it's just creepy. It, it kind of reminds you, like, if you're watching, like, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film where there's, like, a group of friends and then they find this, like, abandoned town. It's just, like, yeah. it's the whole same setup. It's just creepy that, like, they're getting turned into, like, wax figures. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay, that sounds traumatizing. Definitely going to watch yeah. it soon. Yeah, I should definitely rewatch it. I think that's a great like horror throwback film that definitely gets you like up on your seat. Like wrong turn type of movie, like definitely gets you like up on your seat. Oh my god. Okay, yeah. And I love Texas Chainsaw, so love love that it's similar because I'll probably be just as scared. Okay. And lastly, would you rather forever run away from the creature from It Follows, switch places with your tethered? Um 
the creature from it follows is so terrifying but i do not want to be stuck underground eating rabbits that's not fun i'm gonna say forever run away from the creature from it follows which i know is really bad because i can just pass it off to someone else but i, I don't i don't want to be underground that doesn't sound fun Mm-mm. what about you yeah, no, I don't like being underground either. Like, even diving in pools, like, I don't know. I have this phobia where, like, I just – I think it's, like, claustrophobia too. Like, I just don't like feeling like I'm trapped. Totally. And I feel like, especially being underground for that long, you're going to go crazy. You're going to go really crazy. Like, Yeah, no, no thank you. <laughs> I'll stay above ground yeah. doing anything else. <laughs> no, literally. Oh, my God. Um, but I love that. That was so cute. Yay. Yes. I found this. I was like, this is a great horror edition. Um, and it goes yes. ties in well with what we're discussing this week. Today we're gonna be talking about Mary Heron's horror slash thriller, American Psycho 2000. Aspen, why did you want to talk about this film today? Um, I this is one of my favorite films of all time. It's honestly kind of a comfort film too because of how um I think unsparing it is and it's um and in its critique of like both capitalism and masculinity it's despite the fact that it's really dark it's really funny because I feel like especially working in the entertainment industry I can see a lot of these like like obtuse behaviors like manifest in real life um and also too it kind of gets me I think a little riled up and makes me want to um makes me want to make change as well because I'm like while this is a satire a lot of elements like of this are real because like I can see people in the industry um or in several different industries act like this and they get away with it so um yeah it's just one of my favorite films to talk about and I watched it again recently over the summer and there was a new aspect of it that I noticed that I thought was just so clever that I also wanted to talk about as well Ooh, I'm excited to hear about it and your thoughts on this film yeah I haven't Same. actually watched this film in a really long time so now I'm like watching all of these films from the 2000 and they're like all kind of similar in the aspect of it's bringing up this like work environment, this just dull New York. I feel like all of these movies took place in New York. Yeah. Right? I'm like, was this just an era where everyone was making film in New York? Where were we at? <laughs> no, literally, because we were just talking about like how hard it, it feels to get like jobs here in New York. So I'm like, let's bring that era back. I like that. Right? I'm like, I would have been on this set. Like I would have for sure worked on this film. Yeah, it's just um intriguing to see just this type of environment where we're seeing just guys in suits working for Wall Street. And it's not like we don't see that when we go out and we hang out downtown in New York City. Like that is still a vibe. And they're like always yeah. in their pairs because they go out to like happy hour right after work. <laughs> <laughs> so they're no, all literally. huddled. And they all give you like, like this like, weird walls. look. They yeah. are. No, literally, like, especially if you look even slightly queer, they're like, oh, my God, terrified. Yeah, and they're like, oh, like, who is that? Like, if we're, like, interrupting their 
their time or their vibe I'm like who do you think you are you're in New York like calm down that's where I start getting the sense of like LA vibes like that kind of like prestige type feel but yeah definitely that's still a thing (laughs) unfortunately probably why it still resonates so much I think with people today is because it's like oh no we know these guys like they they still exist they have like pictures of them holding fish on their tinder tinder bios like it's it, it, they're they're real they're still out there and they're still psychotic but do you want to talk about what american psycho is all about so i'm gonna read the little synopsis you have okay <laughs> yeah. so american psycho is about a wealthy new york city investment banking executive patrick bateman hiding his alternate psychopathic ego from his co-workers and friends as he delves deeper into his violent hedonistic fantasies The writer-director for this film is Mary Heron, who is a Canadian filmmaker and screenwriter. She helped start Punk, a magazine, as a music journalist. So that was what she started off first. I'm already falling in love with this woman. She sounds incredible. Right? She's the first person to interview Sex Pistols for an American publication. So kudos to her. I think that is so impressive especially helping to start like a punk magazine and definitely like I can see her the way music is used in this film because it's like very much its own character the way it's referenced and also the score so I really love that that she has like a strong music background they actually ended up spending the majority of the budget on getting music rights so they spend a big chunk of their money getting music okay (laughs) I, I respect that so much because I think I, I'm sure it was used for like Huey Lewis for because of that like reference in the film and I it just it it makes so much sense like I don't even know Huey Lewis that well and like his music but like the way it's used there is just it's so purposeful and just totally fits like this like square archetype of this person literally having no taste yeah and I think her music background helped her kind of that like Picture, all right, what would Patrick Bateman listen to, right? What kind of follows to his personality? Like, there's a reference to Whitney Houston. Like, one of his favorite songs is a Whitney Houston song, which is, like, completely out of the blue because then you hear his other taste of music. So you're like, wait, he's a Whitney Houston fan now too? Like, what? Exactly. And I love that because I think think the way people interact with art um, really defines, like, who they are like as a person and what they're interested in and because his tastes are all over the place and even some of the things he does like are just so generic and he like likes it with like a burning passion too um like there's just no individual um care for like what he's listening to or no like reoccurring theme I think that just like reinforces the psychopath mindset like he doesn't know who he is he's just listening to what's supposed to be right you know so that's that's really, really interesting. Yeah, like he's just such a, in a routine, bland mindset where he's trying to be something that he's not to fit in. And that's like one of the totally. things that he says too. he um, what Reese Weatherspoon is like, oh, why do you work for a job that you don't even like that you hate? And he's like to fit in. And I feel like that's still in a lot of that's still accurate in today's times. Like people. work at jobs or do careers to just maybe whatever the case may be there's so many other reasons why you can take a job that maybe you don't necessarily like and you remain in that job maybe because comfort 
ability or maybe because everyone else is doing it. So why not you? It's like following um, this norm supposed to be the correct way to do life. Exactly. And I think that definitely plays back into this like idea of like, not only the American dream of like, you get a good job, you make a lot of money. So you're supposed to be happy. And I think he's trying to follow this idea, but also this like masculine idea as well, which like, kind of like overlaps with this of um, like, you make a lot of money, you get married, you have kids. um, And like, you're supposed to be happy because you have like, this like, plethora of material goods and you're like fitting into again like this kind of like square this expectation and he is trying so desperately to do so but it is not like um fulfilling him in any capacity so he's turning to these like very um primal and um violent uh activities to try and feel something which i think is a really interesting um look on like capitalism and how like this idea just like kind of brings out the worst in us. Yeah. And also the fact that like what idea also plays into effect is that when you have money that no matter what you say or do, people don't pay mind to it. It's like cool. when you're mixed in with this certain group of people, no matter what type of tendencies you might have, like even like 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 um Patrick Bateman like this psychotic tendencies, people are ignoring like the red flags and are just like, whatever. And like, okay. And also the fact that like, you can get away with it. And that's something that we still see today. People get away with it when they have money, you get a really good lawyer and you can do whatever you want. You just pay people off. Exactly. And that's like, I think one reason for like decades and decades and decades, like sexual abuse and um, other abuses in Hollywood have just been like, just like pushed under the rug because like they have good lawyers they have things they have like all these resources um to protect them i recently watched she said and um one thing that really stuck out to me is like none of this is new ever i knew harvey weinstein was a predator you know so like but he has had resources for decades to cover it to put it under but then when they got multiple people's stories together that like together to build an investigation around it um that's when it started to be taken more seriously so it's really um it's very exemplary of like what still goes on today and like there's still plenty of people who have who continue these practices that aren't Harvey Weinstein um but can like get it pushed under the rug because you know they have the resources to do so and it's it's really it's really scary honestly how relevant this film still is there was a lot of criticism behind this film because I think that it was revealing these stereotypes that were actual facts, right? And people were like, oh, wow, that that actually does happen. And they're making, they're poking fun of it because it's supposed to be type of like a, a satire. So yeah. people get uh, like upset or get offended when the truth is like pretty much blatantly shown in front of you maybe in different ways but in the same way it's like it's it's factual like these people do have these types of thoughts that are overseen I mean like Ted Bundy for example like Ted Bundy is a reference that's brought up in the film but that's the Mm -hmm. same thing they think that he's an average looking man who they didn't suspect had these types of demons in his head Jeffrey Dahmer is another like example of that like Mm -hmm. definitely because he was literally just like this like white man like this white, well, he wasn't straight, but like he definitely, I think, like was straight 
he could like pass for straight. I think that um, whole thing, like that's how he could get away time and time again. Even though he said the cops called on him many times, he got away with all this like awful, terrifying things because no one would really suspect him. It's scary. It's so scary. Yeah, it's scary because you don't know like who is lurking next to you. And a lot of people are like, oh, what? Like, I never suspected that from them. Like, they they seemed like such a nice person, you know? It's like, yeah, they, they do seem like your average person. But it's also because a lot of social cues have been ignored. Now, do you think, like, speaking on behalf of, like, serial killers and stuff like that, like, I know I'm not no, psych- like, a psychology major, but do you feel like, or I don't know if you have, like, any knowledge or, like, behind this, but do you feel like serial killers that they're born this way or like, or do you think that naturally it just starts to become something that they um, starts evolving and becomes what it is? That is such a good question. Like, okay. So full disclosure, I've never taken a psychology class, but like I've read a lot of psychology theory because that's intersected with film theory a lot. Um, So I don't know for sure. However, I am personally of the belief that it's both because I think there are some people who are diagnosed as like psychopaths and sociopaths. I think there are some sociopaths who like don't actually engage in violent behaviors. I think, I think like with nature versus versus nurture, I think it's both where it like can bring them out. Like not to bring it back to Dahmer, but I did watch that, <laughs> that series recently. So that's what's most present in my brain. But like, I think because he had a very fucked up home life, you know, he had these, a lot of like internalized homophobia. He was in the military. He had like multiple levels of um, like really poor influences that were like either like contributing to this violence or enforcing it or making him feel othered. And then like he would act out in this violence. So I definitely feel like there's a level to it. But then there are people like Richard Ramirez who... um. I, again, I watched this documentary when I was like 13, so not sure how accurate the knowledge is, but I just remember it because it was so terrifying learning about him, um, that he had like a fairly normal home life, allegedly. So um, I think it's not always, but I, I do I do believe it's a mix of both in a lot of ways. What about you? I think some tendencies, and I don't I don't know, like I feel like there's so much things that like can play into effect. I know a lot of people do get um, affected by like childhood trauma. Not everyone has the greatest childhood growing up, but it's also how you grow from that, right? Do you let it affect you? And do you let it affect your behaviors as an adult? Or do you grow out of it and you're like, you mature and you just become a better version than what you were grown up to be surrounded by like I think it's also a choice of the person but also I think that sometimes people really get lost and warped in their thoughts because your mind has a lot of control and sometimes when your brain isn't functioning the right way I think that that's when killers start acting on behalf of their impulses right I feel like maybe there's something in their head that like it keeps coming up. I mean, like even just as an overthinker, like I know I'm an overthinker, right? And sometimes like certain thoughts are just like always stuck in your head and they, they just don't leave even if you're trying so hard to just release it. And you're like, no, no, it's like stop thinking about this, whatever. 
it's like sometimes I feel like when you have like even mental illness, it's hard to escape that. And I think that mental illness does play a factor of like the behaviors of a killer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think you're 100% right. Like definitely has something to do with like what you're saying, like impulse control, like yeah, I, I, I agree. Because I think sometimes people try and make it one way or the other. But like, definitely feel like both things can be true. And I think, again, we see that too with um like, kind of, I think, with like school shooters and stuff. Because I think a lot of them um are like, I think the majority have been like white men. And also too, like, I think many of them have been involved in like incel communities. So I think that's really interesting. Because like, I don't, maybe they they were born with some sort of psychopathic or sociopathic mindset, but definitely if you're partaking in like incel like communities and you have people like feeding this like very violent, very charged language to you that makes you very hateful. Um, I think that's definitely an influence in it as well. Yeah. And I think also like them feeling some sort of power. Yeah. And I think in this film too, in American Psycho, like he's trying to gain this power amongst everyone else because it's like he's in a competition of everyone else like having a better lifestyle right having a better business card like even like the littlest things to like a business card um better haircut it's like having that power over someone I feel like um becomes to be like a drug yes a hundred percent and it kind of reminds me of um how like rape has been used as a tool of um not only ethnic cleansing but oh yeah ethnic cleansing and then just like use as a uh, a strategy in war as a way to um what's the word exert power over groups especially when it comes to genocide and so like with that in mind it's like there's just something about like him using like trying to get power in every sense so when he assaults these women again it's another like Uh, use of power because he doesn't feel as powerful in his company you know like they mix him up with other people like they're literally talking shit about him to himself at one point but like they don't realize that that's Patrick Bateman because he looks because they all look the same and he's so unrecognizable and anonymous like everyone else which is really interesting which is why I think he goes after like the homeless man the dog and the cat I think those are like another like really interesting um use there because it's like kills both a dog and cat in the film it's just like like as many like um communities and groups of people and groups of living things that he can exert power over he will he will do so and specifically women as well i think that's where he exerts most of his power um to like just like try and feel superior in some way do you remember when he like throws a chainsaw down and it kills that woman and he like Mm kind of like left it's kind of like a laugh that he does afterwards. It's like terrifying. Like, I think he gets an enjoyment over that because he's like, okay, I won. Like, you lost. Oh, well. Like, like he like <laughs> feels a sense of like power from that. It's it's insane. Yeah. That is one of the scenes where I was like on my seat, like, ah! <laughs> no, because I forgot that the chainsaw kills her the way that it does. And um, I'm just like, run the other way don't run so close to the edge and i'm not suspecting it to kill her and it still kills her it's it also i think ties into like him watching texas chainsaw massacre while like working out to it um that could be 
that could have been the influence to him using the chainsaw in the first place and wanting to kill her and just like the way that he was reacting towards it like that is such a powerful scene um and such a powerful like job well done to christian bale like i forgot how good he is as an actor and from the very beginning how much he really involves himself in the character is just and how much he studies the character and transforms himself is just beyond words totally because i feel like he's very physical in it like just like his posture his stature the way he like looks at himself in the mirror when he's peeling the face mask off is haunting it's incredible like there there totally could have been a way where that was played like where it didn't have that effect but that is just like one of the most haunting shots like ever because he is able to incorporate this like deadness behind the eyes and this like intensity and this like farceness in his smile it's like it's insane like this is I truly believe it's one of the best performances ever oh yeah oh yeah for sure and (laughs) even with that scene just in general it's like he's peeling back a layer of who he actually is right he's peeling back his skin and like I have not seen face masks that do that in a really long time. So I'm like, my face mask, I just like, just peel it off. Like, it's not just like peeling off from my skin. So it was a very particular face mask to make that see that particular way. Like he's peeling, he's literally peeling off his skin and the way that he does it. Very well done. Right. And I love what you said about the chainsaw too, because like, I think, it's interesting that he uses that and like the axe which makes me think of um the shining so like i don't know if there's like another weapon but i'm sure there might be something else like it just seems like he's using these very like stereotypical like horror movie weapons in a way so it's like um it's like he's trying to imitate that to have that same feeling that he might feel when watching a movie like i it's like almost like he's trying to use movies maybe in a sense as a way to um or trying to imitate movies so he can feel me what the characters feel in the movie or and like the movies he watches or whatever so i love that connection there that is so cool but like every time you watch it i feel like there's just so many layers to it like like you break it down it's like oh my god there's something else that's awesome yeah yeah you start to realize it because like i feel like the first time when you watch something it's it's hard to like pay attention to the story as well as everything else that's going on like the very like intricate details um certain messages right now watching it again like multiple times you start to really dissect the film like why was there certain things done in a certain way and also to start questioning things like i know the ending is very questionable and that's something that i wanted to bring up is it reality? Like, did it actually happen or was it all in his head? So after watching it again, what did you feel? Do you feel like he actually killed these people and he actually killed Paul Allen or was it just all in his head? That, that's a million dollar question. I feel like I used to think that it was all in his head. I think now I like to believe it's real because for me, I feel like that makes the message hit harder because then it's like, oh, like these, these things happen and no one wants to pay attention because at the end of the day, like, even if he didn't do the murders, he's drawing pictures, you know, in his calendar of like killing women. The way he talks to his secretary is so violent. Um, The way, um, 
the apathy which he treats Reese, Reese Witherspoon or the woman he's having an affair with. Like, I think these all are levels of, um, like, psychopathy or sociopathy. Oh, I guess psychopathy here. Um, that um, are manifesting already that people are ignoring. So, to me, like, I think it would just be, like, almost a logical conclusion for these things to be happening. But, again, even it, since it's so extreme, it would be ignored. And, like, definitely the ending, like, when he's, like, going on that shooting rampage, it's, like, a little, like, over the top. But also, too, I, I still think it fits where it's, like, yeah, like, he's still, um, he, uh, he still probably would get away with it, whether people acknowledge it or not, because he's able to I think I I think his dad owns the company or something I think I remember that detail so like especially in that scenario like he's not going to jail he's not going to prison everyone's protecting him and he's fine I've heard this theory though that um that this is purgatory and that like um he like is just constantly trapped in this cycle of hell where he's trying to be noticed he does all these like awful outrageous things to try and like feel something or for someone to notice him and he doesn't so I, I also like that um theory too but what about you what are what do you think oh I like that theory that he's just trying to do whatever it takes to just be noticed and still no one cares about it exactly I was like intrigued to see what his selection was when it came to women right mm-hmm. like the typical blonde looking female we have Reese Weatherspoon who plays his fiance or like girlfriend, I was wondering why he didn't kill her, right? Why she was being saved out of everyone else. Because yeah, the like he even killed one of his best friends who was apparently, I think she was like a lesbian in the film. Um, She actually, I think her name is like Guinevere, like Guinevere something. I forget her last name, but she actually helped write the screenplay with uh, Mary so that that was pretty interesting to like read about, but yeah, they're they're friends. So um, she she's a writer for other stuff as well, and I'm pretty sure she brings um, up a lot of like queer relationships in her films. So it was interesting to see that like because like I forgot, like I said, I forgot all about this to see just a lesbian in American Psycho, and it's just so early on because this film was in the 2000s. So and I know that was something that was still very much not seen in film um there was still a lot of like criticism behind it but yeah unfortunately he like kills her too he like bites her he goes into like this like cannibalistic way and uh there's blood everywhere but i think that why he chose these victims is like their vulnerability to whatever circumstance so i know that his friend uh i think struggled in their dating life and i know like he had prostitutes coming in that had to be specifically blonde. But I think for Evelyn is like, she was a blonde fit into his victim um, description, but that stood up for herself and pretty much kind of like shoved him away, but also like had this sort of care for him where she didn't want to lose out in the relationship, but that could have been like her own kind of psychotic mental brain being like this is the only guy for me and I really want him regardless of all his flaws and the way that he treats me because obviously he he didn't treat her well but she just ignored all of that and just wanted him for whatever reason totally I think it's so interesting I didn't realize that about like the lesbian character in there so like 
again, like, that's so interesting. And yeah, that would make sense because he's playing on these, like, non-visible communities um, and, like, like looking and, like, going after them because he thinks that no one's going to look for them or want to find them. And I think that's the thing with Paul Allen is because he he went after someone who was more visible and arguably more powerful than him that it started to get some attention. But at the end of the day, like, Paul Allen is just as, like, um, interchangeable as all the other guys. So I think that's why, like, the case kind of gets dropped at the end. Um, But I think her name was Elaine. I can't remember exactly. But, yeah, Reese Witherspoon's character. Um, Yeah, I think that's so interesting because he doesn't – he's more, like, emotionally, like, neglectful and partly abusive versus, um, like, physically abusive to her. And I think part of that could be, like – a maintaining like this like in this like picture perfect like white picket fence image that he thinks he's supposed to have but also too I think it's because she seems like a more like visible character and like slightly has more power in that regard because I remember he said that she works for the uh, ACLU so like she has a job she's involved in a community she has friends um she like kind of like runs in the same circle more so so um and like I think she I don't know if it was her Christmas party, but in a Christmas party, she was there. I think she had some part in throwing it. So I think that also contributes as well because she she had slightly more power and slightly more visibility. And she was like kind of in this upper echelon of upper class women. So I think that's like what protected her um, from being killed, which is, again, very interesting the way that like class intersects with this. Um, but one thing I was wondering... Um, if you noticed, because I I had written a review a while ago about the film, and I was like, I don't think there are any people of color in the film. Did you notice if there were or not? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, the only person of color was the homeless guy. There we go. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I think that is another really interesting choice. Definitely, um, I don't know if it being entirely white was necessary, but I do almost entirely white is necessary. I do think it makes a point in like how um small and stringent his circle is that it's just like the same group of like wealthy um white people that he's like hanging around with. Um, but it's like really interesting because it's like he kind of like like phases people out who don't even look like him. Um, so it kind of makes sense in a way that there aren't any people of color, but it definitely, I think, would have been an interesting uh, choice if they had casted someone as a POC and, like, the levels um, in which that would play, like, with, like, racism. Because I don't really feel like racism is, like, as overtly touched upon as misogyny here. Yeah, I think that the purpose where or they could have decided not to use people of color is because they wanted everyone to look like him. So like, it's all just like white male dominance working in like wall street, which is unfortunately something that, I mean, isn't so diverse. Um, Like a lot of those jobs were so white male dominated and it was so hard to just even break into that type of circle of class as a person of color, because people don't take you seriously. Like people really do look at the color of your skin and judge you which is so so unfortunate but if they were to like redo this movie right and just have like a whole different perspective of things and including people of color I think it will resonate with more people Christian Bale like could be a person of color like it could be like a completely 
different main character, like uh, Denzel Washington, for example, like uh, equalizer type thing, where we're just seeing um, another point of view, like not from a white male perspective, but from like maybe a black American perspective and how their workplace is as a person of color. And seeing, I don't know, there's, um, you know what, speaking of which, there is actually a series that touches upon this. It's new on Amazon Prime, actually not that new now, I think it's like two years old, but it has to do with like, it's like a psychological thriller based in like the 60s, where this um, Black American family are moving into this white uh, predominant community and they are obviously outcast outsiders um, because they are the only family of color. The husband gets a, he's an engineer and no one sees him as an engineer. Like they think he's there for help and he's there for the mailroom. And he's like, oh no, actually I'm supposed to be here. So right off the bat, they're judging him because of his color, thinking that he's help. So there is starting to like, there. I bet that show isn't talked about. Like not, not, I don't, I haven't heard about it. Or I haven't heard people talking about it, but I think that's a great representation that there is people of color can uphold these jobs and there's still racism behind it, but also creating that type of like, if you wanted to like go through this genre on this field, creating the psychological thriller where they're being victimized because uh, white men or people um, or white people are seeing them as a threat coming in and disturbing their community, right? Quote unquote, disturbing their community, disturbing what they see as a norm, not accepting change. And I feel like that's a lot of um, just generalization that people, it's hard for people to accept change, but I feel like change is good. And change is just very hard for people to grasp. Totally. Yeah. I'm I'm going to quote Ratatouille right now, which is really embarrassing. <laughs> um but one of my favorite quotes from it is like um when he's like change is nature and then he's like it's the part we influence um and I really love that quote because I think it's a really um I just think it's like a really good philosophy where it's like it's just like inevitable and part of life and like something that you can expect but um like you can't you can't stop from happening um, but like it's also kind of positive because we can influence the kind of change that can happen. Um, so yeah, sorry, it just made me think of that. But yeah, totally. Like I think um like people are so resistant to that, especially, you know, in this industry. Um, despite the fact like it's awesome that we're seeing more diverse stories and stuff. I think people are still I think executives are still resistant to it. Um and like we're we still have a lot of work to go. But um, it's like, it's inevitable. It's going to have to occur because people can't keep watching, you know, the same five blockbusters from the 80s that focus on the same five white men, you know, like, it's just something that needs to occur because like your audience base is so much more diverse than that. And they deserve to have stories that are more representative of like what they go through. Yeah, no. And I think it's shining a light to the issue because we can talk about it in the media, right? We can keep seeing shootings happening, like wrongful shootings happening and all of this stuff. But it's like, where's the stories, right? We had, what is it? Til- Tilton? Um, is it Tilton that came out? The Emmett Tilton uh, film? Oh, oh, oh. Um, uh, uh, I think it's Till? Is it Till? It yeah, it's like, 
it's like something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but that was a movie that needed to be made, right? Like we've been hearing yeah. the story for generations, but there's not been a movie created to support the story or to tell us like more facts about it. And I mean, these stories are hard to tell, but when you are dedicated to really put the story out there, like it's um, more than possible to be able to accomplish that because yeah, we definitely need more stories out there to just um, shine a light of this. And it would honestly like get out. It's like a great psychological thriller that really shines a light on social issues. Totally. Yeah. Get out. is one of the greatest I've ever made, honestly, because it does it. Yeah. It does it in such a, like a thrilling way. And I think it's definitely, um, but um, I think get out is one of the greatest films like ever made because like, it's definitely like paved the way for a, um, I mean, horror has always been political, but for more upfront political horror and for that to become more mainstream and what people are looking for. I think that's really great because I think it's created this new genre of horror films that are just so so much scarier because they're like actually acknowledging the awful things that are going on um so yeah jordan peele's just awesome amazing fantastic (laughs) i think that's what horror film needs is just like and i think that's what makes it scary is the fact that it's factual and that it could actually happen or that it's actually happening because like yeah sometimes we watch these movies and you're like oh this is a like a bizarre story but then if you like watch id discovery and like true crime stuff you're like wow like this happened like this is like wild that this was even that this even happened There was also what I found interesting was that there was designer problems with the shoot because they didn't want their name tied to like killings. So like Rolex was one of them. Um, That's why he's like, don't touch my watch instead of don't touch my Rolex. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I mean, these companies should have known that this movie was going to do so well. And look, look where we're at now. Like had they known, like, I feel like that would have been such an iconic line to be like, don't touch my Rolex. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of like iconic lines like that started emerging with these films. But um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of controversy to even begin making this film. Like there was a lot of back and forth and Christian Bale stuck with Mary Heron to make this film happen and for Mary to be the director and for Christian to play the leading role. Like they were passing this like leading role on to like everyone, to like Leonardo DiCaprio, there's like some other people that I can't think of right now. But yeah, but he stuck with it. He was like turning down like deals and gigs because he really wanted to play this character. And he really um, outdid himself with it. And I think that's why he put so much effort into it because he really he knew that he could pull this off. Totally. Yeah, that's like really awesome that like he was so committed to it, especially given like you know, that there was, like, I guess, controversy leading up to it. Um, because, like, honestly, both him and um, uh, Mary Heron, yeah, like, they, um, like, without the two of them, I think it would have been a completely different movie. Like, they really, really, like, have this vision that, like, makes it. So I love how much that they, um, how they stuck by it. Yeah, this one director wanted to make it into a musical, like have a musical number at the end of the film. I'm like, that would have been so bad. Like he would have killed it 
so bad. Oh. And the writer of the actual book, Brett Estin Ellis, right? Um, he was about to not even approve it for it to be a film. And he even says that he much prefers it as a novel. And some of the scenes had to be cut because they were too gruesome for like on screen. And there were like 10 seconds from it not even being rated, like rated R. So, you know, when it starts getting like not rated and then that drops like your profits. I think that's just like bizarre to me that that's even a thing that happens and how ratings really matter Mm -hmm. in the industry. And because it could um, it can make and break your film, depending on the audience that you're trying to like um, push your film towards. So. Yeah, they had to make some certain cuts. Like there were certain cuts that um, were made that Mary necessarily wanted to keep. Like she wanted to keep in the film, but she couldn't. Like there was like one scene that him and Reese Weatherspoon are in bed and they're about to like, or he's about to like, he's like undoing his pants and he obviously wants a blowjob. And she says something funny along the lines of, what do you want me to do with that floss with it? And like that would have been such an iconic line, such an iconic part of the film, but it was cut. God, that is so mm. bad because that would have been absolutely hilarious. And I think that also would have been a really good insight into their relationship as well. Because like like you were saying, um, like she like she has a presence on screen, but like the power dynamic is like it's a little bit more matched, but definitely she's like below him. So it's really that would have been so interesting. Oh, and that's such a good line. I love that. And it would have made more sense to be like, all right, Evelyn is not a victim because she does stand up to him in other ways, like even when it comes to their sexual relationship. Obviously, there's something that is keeping them together. And what is it? Like, is it just status? Um, I know a lot of people where there's like a lot of films where um, they talk about, you know, just I mean, maybe this could go into like back to talking about like social norms, how people just stay in relationships to stay with relationships to keep that like social status or to even like hide their identity. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, they're both such superficial people that like I could see that being the only reason why. However, why doesn't Patrick just go ahead and have kids too? You know, like I think there's part, like there's definitely still something that is keeping them from having the marriage happen. I don't know if they say how long the engagement has been. I know like she's kind of planning the wedding, but there is there is something there that is keeping them from like at least totally pretending um, or being more overt in their facade. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And again, I really like this idea that she has some sort of power over him because she like stands up for herself more um yeah and one thing too that I find really interesting is like in the beginning of the film um uh during the first scene one of his one of the people at um the table with him I don't know if it's his friend co-worker whatever um they use a slur and then um Patrick calls him out for it and is like kind of like don't say that and um then the guy says back like oh I didn't realize you became so like PC I guess that's what happens when you're dating someone from the ACLU so and I think he says something else that's like semi-woke so like it's really interesting how he'll like say some of these like semi-woke things like in the company of other men um and 
it's like almost like he is like slightly keeping up this facade of like I'm like I'm like a normal I'm like normally misogynist like I'm only like a little I like I'm only like a little bit of like a piece of shit like like I'm still like kind of a good guy and I think that's partly from Evelyn's influence um with her being like working for the ACLU um him trying to conform to that but I also think it's like a commentary on like good guys where it's like they'll say these politically correct things but in secret they'll still be like misogynistic men who aren't um reflecting on their actions and I think that's a big issue in um in Hollywood like again James Franco he was wearing that me too pin he was like speaking about like oh I care about this blah 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 and then you know a few weeks later like the accusations come out so um I think also in just like a lot of like leftists and activist circles in general um a lot of men have been like misogynistic and sexist and especially white men like white men have been very like racist and just like you know just generally bigoted but because they have this view of um I believe in equal rights or I'm a Bernie bro or I'm a socialist they're not actually taking the time to apply that theory to of like equality to their own like beliefs and understanding like how what they can do is like harmful they're just like gung-ho about like like whatever you know cause that they feel like they are championing when in reality they're um still they're still just they're still like um Patrick Bateman they're just like a different version of it and maybe not to the same extreme but they still are like kind of um promoting that facade I don't know if that was too much of a tangent but um that's just one thing I noticed on my last watch of it no you're like absolutely right like and it's uh, it's so sad because it, it's so true where you can say one thing but your action it's like where your actions speak louder than words and like mm-hmm. you can say that you know you're you're pro you're pro female you're pro feminist and you're you know and and I've heard that a lot like where people like oh well um I'm pro this. So that can't be true. Like I couldn't have done that. Or like, I couldn't have given that impression because I'm pro whatever. I I definitely find this movie cathartic. And I'm wondering if you do too, because even though it's satire, I think it does still reflect a lot of our reality. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. And like I said, it's been so many years, right? This movie, oh my God, it's going to be like 23 years old. Like that's just wild to me but that goes to show that if there's no change happening right if there's not more people speaking up and taking responsibility for their actions like this isn't this isn't going to change and this unfortunately hasn't changed we still live in a society where we're run by money right or we're run by status like people care so much about their status um and being better than one other instead of uplifting and it's up to us to create those environments where we are supporting one another and we are uplifting each other and we are creating these safe spaces for each other because unfortunately, yeah, we live in a world where there's just too much hatred and envy and competition. And I feel like that's where people become unsuccessful and just become so trapped in their own world 
because I feel like great things come with great people surrounding you. And I feel like that's what creates a great movie as well. And like in our industry specifically, like in filmmaking, you need a crew to create your film. So that is all for today. Thank you for listening. This has been Film Spill, a movie night podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest. All are at Film Spill Pod. Tell a friend about the podcast if you like and leave a review for us on Apple Podcast. That will help other people find Film Spill too. Special thanks to Onyx Films for promoting us. You can check out Onyx's other projects at onyx-films.com. And thank you so much, Aspen, for coming on. It was such a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And you are welcome back anytime. (laughs) So much. Thank you for having me on. It's always fun to be here and to just like chat with you, Chelsea. Yes. It's always, I feel like we always like have so much to chat about, like every time that we come on or like even just chat, which is great because I love it. I know that I'm going to have a great conversation with you, Aspen. Thank you. No, I love this because I feel like we always just like feed off each other's energies. So like we'll just like talk for hours and it's nice to have someone to just like go crazy about films with. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly how I feel. Aspen, if you would like to plug in any Instagram handles, especially for Killer Puss. Yeah. So my personal Instagram is at Aspen underscore Colorado underscore. Um, I'll like post like about projects I have going on there. Um, so would love to, to, to connect with people. And then for my short film, um, it's at Killer Puss Movie. Um, so follow that for more updates to come. When can we start seeing it that's a really good question um it will probably be accessible around february on a private link but it will be um be starting to submitted to festivals around that time awesome well i can't wait and i'm sure that our listeners can't wait either if you want to learn more about the film please follow aspen on their instagram page and keep updates with Killer Puss. They're all going to be on Instagram and I will make sure to include Aspen's Instagram and Killer Puss's Instagram. Until next time, don't cry over a spilled film.